Selling smoothies is what I do. But for small business insurance, I chose my State Farm agent. He's a small business owner, too, so he knew how to help me personalize my policies. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to an agent today. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. I used to have this fantasy that I could go to like a different island and like be able to learn every single thing by myself and learn how to essentially be perfect without needing anything. Because when I ask for things, it just feels like emotionally overwhelming. I'm Vienna Farron, a licensed marriage and family therapist. This is a show where I speak with anonymous guests every week about challenges they're facing. I'm the author of the national best-selling book, The Origins of You, which explores how to break family patterns so that you can liberate the way you live and love. I hope what you hear today helps you as you go through your own journey. Our guests are anonymous. Names and other personally identifiable details within their stories may be changed or excluded. Conversations with participants are limited consultations. This podcast is not a substitute for therapy, medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. It is for informational purposes only. This week's episode touches on sexual abuse and a suicide attempt within a family system. I share this with you so you can take care of yourself as you listen. Today I'm speaking with Blue. That's her alias. She has a complicated relationship with her mom. She feels torn, sometimes hopeful, and sometimes she doesn't know whether she wants to have a relationship with her at all. Blue's parents got divorced when she was 12 years old, which is also around the time that sexual abuse started with her dad. She later found out that both of her sisters were also abused. Blue's mother never fully acknowledged what happened to her. She just made rash decisions on Blue's behalf and continued to stay distracted and preoccupied with work and a new love. This left Blue feeling deprioritized, uncared for, and like she didn't belong. She struggles with wishing her mother could have been the mother she craved for and the mother she always needed. She struggles with complicated family dynamics that feel really confusing to her and she doesn't know what to do next. So my dad was pretty much like our primary caregiver. If there was anybody home, it was my dad uh, growing up. And my mom was, as you could say, the breadwinner of the family. So she definitely worked long hours. And my dad would take us around. Um, He had like a, a small side job, but for the most part... He would take us with him to work. And so I think there was that piece that we were close to my dad just because of him taking care of us. 
And then the day they told us that they were getting a divorce, I remember specifically, they brought us home like a Starbucks. They just brought us all of a Starbucks and it was just really interesting. And But my dad was like emotional, which he never was. He was very tough, everything, very, very strict, just definitely not emotional uh, as far as like crying or showing sadness or things like that. And then uh, when he told us, it seemed like, okay, like he was really sad about it. And so my mom also, from what we could understand, me and my siblings are all pretty much a year apart from each other. But from what we could understand is she was dating somebody else too. So I think that was part of like, she kind of chose this more and that's what we could understand. And my dad kind of wanted to keep things how they were and stay in the relationship. And so because of that, we just tended to like want to like spend more time with my dad because of Mm -hmm. that. And Yeah, you experienced him as more heartbroken. Yes, yes, that's true. From what I could understand as a kid. Has that understanding shifted for you as as you are now an adult? You feel like you have a different perspective on that? Definitely. I understand now all the things leading up to the divorce. Mm-hmm. And I do understand that my mom was probably confused and trying to find a way to leave the relationship and that it had been maybe in need of of a breakup for a long time. I think, though, during that time now, I still feel that I wish she was there with us because she wasn't. When she wasn't there for work, she still wasn't there because she was kind of in that new relationship. And so it was really confusing. Yeah, it sounds like mom was, you know, preoccupied. Did the abuse start before or after the divorce or right around there? For me, it was right around there. I have like an older sister, which I feel like it might have been longer than that because she was, I mean, she's an older sister, but she's also the oldest. And then my younger sister, I think it was similar during that time. We just happened to all like, yeah, just kind of want to be really close to him as much as possible, just spending as much time as we could with him. So for me, it definitely happened during that time of the divorce. Yeah. Lots of transitions and lots of changes, you know, all at once. And I think in hearing you say how much you wished that mom was there for you and and also for your siblings, but, you know, for mom to be around, maybe I'll read between some of the lines, right? Like for mom to be able to prioritize you guys and see you, see what was going on, 
be around, protect, mm-hmm. you know, some version of that, right? But because mom was preoccupied, whether it was work or new relationship and a new love or an old love, I don't know how long the, you know, the maybe the infidelity was going on, but to just feel her focus elsewhere when you really needed the focus to be on you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think that is very much like a pattern, (laughs) my mom's pattern. I think she was always busy or doing something. Mm -hmm. And I will say once we moved, there was almost like she wasn't with uh, that same person she was dating. It didn't last very long, but she almost revisited the relationship with my dad during that time when we had moved. Mm -hmm. And that was really complicated (laughs) because we still hadn't told her yet. And we thought it was kind of over. Mm -hmm. We thought we could kind of move on from this and we would never have to revisit this again because he would no longer be in our lives. When he was coming back into our lives, I didn't want him there, even though I wished things could go back before where it felt like we were a family. But my older sister definitely had a huge reaction to that, and my mom still didn't understand why. And it wasn't until maybe maybe like half a year later where she finally found out and things started to unravel. My younger sister told a friend who told a parent who told the school. And then things got very, very complicated. And I will say that also when everything happened, when we had to go through some, I don't know how to say this, like talking to people about what happened, like detectives Mm -hmm. or things like that. It was my grandpa who brought us. And again, it wasn't my mom. Mm -hmm. How did your mom respond when you did share with her? And I'll just stay focused on your experience. And I know your sisters had, you know, their own experience with her. That's important. But yeah, I'd like to hear about what it was like for you. Uh, To be honest, I don't remember her really ever addressing it. It -hmm. just kind of happened. And then we were told we couldn't speak to that part of our family anymore. Dad's side? Yes, that side of my family. I still had cousins and other people that I was close to. Mm -hmm. And they said there was a restraining order on that side of the family. So we couldn't talk Mm -hmm. to them. And... If we wanted a relationship with our dad, we could choose after we turned 18. And so that was kind of it. What was that like for you? I think it was really confusing. So I didn't understand what that meant. And I thought that I did something wrong. I thought it was my Mm -hmm. fault for a long time that had I just kept this a secret, even though it wasn't 
me, but had the secret just been kept. And I didn't want to be part of the secret, too. Like, I didn't want to be part of just like, oh, what happened to me, too. And that part was really hard. My grandma on that side, she said we were lying. So that, as a kid, felt hard to take in, like, what that even meant. And just questioning myself. And I think overall, I would say leading up to this point in my life, I was definitely the people pleaser, the yes person, the positive person, the happy person. I I mean, I was 12, but up until that age, like I was known for getting straight A's. I got 100% on everything. I was always the one to ask to do something. I was so easy. I didn't really get in trouble because I was so compliant. (laughs) And I definitely remember at school feeling the difference, like feeling that that was a turning point in my life because I will say I grew up like a very anxious kid, scared of the dark, I shared a room with my younger sister almost my whole upbringing and we would like race to go to sleep so that we wouldn't have to turn off the light first. (laughs) But I think Mm -hmm. like I felt way more anxious during school. I definitely now can like put a little bit more vocabulary about it, but I definitely disassociated like most of my teenage years, pretty much all of it. And then people would say I was very ditzy or like, I don't know, just like not very present. And just, I kind of felt like I didn't understand what they were talking about. Cause I just thought, oh, that's just be- me being fun. That's just me being carefree mm-hmm. until I realized that like, I had lots of nightmares, like just lots mm-hmm. of feelings of like, there was nowhere to be safe. And so when I went to school, I just, I feel like I checked out as just like a whole person. There's nowhere to be safe. It's a awful way to feel. Yeah. And really awful when you're a kiddo, teenager, just trying to figure it out. And I'm, I'm really struck by how confusing it all must have been for you, honestly. I think we can sit here and we know that the abuse is awful. And I also hear a part of you that, you know, had a close relationship with your dad and maybe that side of the family too. And maybe there were people you really cared about and loved and that the response to this was not a collaborative response, but that there was a lot of choosing that happened for you. And I don't know how that was experienced by you. I mean, I think that before you were saying it was confusing, I, but I am feeling into what it's like to be a kid where something awful is happening to you for this to be revealed in a way that you maybe weren't expecting it to. And then to not have it be acknowledged, to not have it be something that's talked about 
in an appropriate way. And then to have, you know, big decisions made without you really understanding them, right? And I, I have to assume that part of that decision was to stop the abuse and try to protect you. And I also hear like, wait, I can't speak to my cousins. I can't like, hold on, what, what just happened? Right? Does that feel... Yeah, yeah, definitely. It felt like our whole lives changed, like definitely mm-hmm. ch- changed. And the really confusing part, well, I know I keep using that word, but I felt so conflicted for a long time because I was the last per like I was the last person that my dad had contact with. And every single year, he always reached out to me on everyone's birthdays. And I always battled with it every single year, maybe until like two years ago, I finally like made the block out. Like I wouldn't respond, but I would read it and had just um, read things like, why aren't you responding? I'm your dad. And I think for a long time, I lived in an alternate reality and I pretended like that didn't happen. Well, I didn't know how it really affected me because I was also so distracted, preoccupied with how it affected my younger sister because hers was definitely on the surface and she was very depressed and had a lot of Uh, like self-harm issues when we were teenagers. And like I said, I shared a room with her. So my job was to keep it a secret. Mm -hmm. She said, don't do this and don't do that. Or don't tell mom that I'm doing this. Don't tell. And so a lot of, again, it was just all this secret keeping and it was all on me. Yeah. Was your sister suicidal? Yes. And I lived that. Well, I felt that I lived that experience with her up until 10 years later where she had an attempt. And that was the major turning point in my life that required Mm -hmm. a lot of healing. And I was the first person in my whole family to go to therapy or even name therapy as an option. But I was... Yeah, my younger 20s when that happened. And yeah, she also had a daughter and I was helping her take care of her daughter during that time. So, and not only that, I had a long, I would say, a high school long relationship of eight years that also ended during that time. So it definitely felt like everything I knew or held on to or attached to didn't make any sense anymore. Yeah. I imagine there's, we could sit here and I could learn a lot about your story. And, and I also want us to talk about what's happening right now in your life and where, where some of this intersects with what's happening and playing out today. I want to acknowledge how heavy that had to have been for you, all of it. 
and to be the secret keeper, but also the protector, right? To be in a room with someone where, you know, maybe one eye is always open and wanting to make sure that she's okay and she's safe and why we step into those roles sometimes, right? When the adults aren't aware or they're preoccupied or they're prioritizing other things, right? And so, yeah, it sounds like your role, one of the roles you took on was a little bit of that protector, maybe kind of stepping outside of a child role and more into a parental role, yeah, in some of the relationships with your siblings. And yeah, just want to acknowledge the weight of that for you. Thank you. I will say that was like a really, really big stepping stones to what got me here today. But that hasn't been my whole story because I am healing from that part of my life. And mm-hmm. I recently got married a year ago. And that has been really, I never really thought that not marriage would happen, but that feeling that comes from marriage that, or when you find somebody in your life that you can feel safe with happens. And the big things kind of feel a little bit lighter and a little bit smaller and You're taking them on with someone else. Yes, yes. And I think what I've been trying to work through currently with my relationship with my mom, even with all those things, we, yeah, we've had like a rocky relationship, but I I still feel like there's hope for a relationship with her. And during my marriage reception, like the beginning of this year, I had invited all of my siblings and my mom, which is like very rare now at this point in our lives for all six of us to be in the same room together. And I was really looking forward to this like event, but also feeling, uh, I think, I don't know how to receive things. So it was kind of overwhelming and everyone kept saying, it's your day, it's your day. Like you get all these special things and you get to make the decisions. And it felt like, okay, and now on top of that, my immediate family was all going to be together to like make peace for this event, my reception. And that felt really exciting. And also I felt like it was too good to be true. And then once the day approached, I had a bridal shower the night before the reception. And I was just doing what I usually do, trying not to ask anybody for help or like very minimal help and just really stressed doing that. But anyways, I was about to make it there. And then I got a call from my 
mom saying she just got in a huge fight with my older sister. And that, I don't know, it had to do with an argument, but apparently it almost got physical, but it didn't. But she was like, I'm not sure when we're going to get there because we're we're figuring this out. So then that already started the night just like, here we go. Mm-hmm. The focus never seems to be where it needs to be for you. Correct. Right. That there's always something else that is a quote-unquote more important focus in the moment. Yes. And it's not to minimize other people's experiences. It's not to say that your sister didn't need care. It's not to say that this argument wasn't an important argument for them to have. I don't know. But I think what I hear in your experience is that, gosh, the focus is never on me. Yeah. Like, does anybody see me? Does anybody care about what's going on for me? Yeah, that's a big What's that one. feel like to hear me say that to you? What do you notice in your body? Just like tensing up because that's definitely like a common theme in my life. And I feel a lot of pain from that. I feel that that happens. And then it makes me want to be smaller for some reason. It makes me just feel like I'm too much when I do want something to be focused on me. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it makes me feel like I'm doing something wrong or it's because of what I said or what I did or what I didn't do that these things keep happening to me. What things specifically, if you could name that, this keeps happening to me, what? Uh, What keeps happening to me is? What keeps happening to me is that when something's important to me, Or when I try to share something that's important to me, something else is more important. Or something else is prioritized. And that something else is usually how other people feel instead of how I feel. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Jake from State Farm here, hanging out with Mel's Mow and Grow. Mel chose State Farm for small business insurance because his local agent is a small business owner too. So she knew how to help him personalize his policies. And now he's rolling in the green. Like a, like a good neighbor. Guys, I'm trying to do the line. Oh, sorry, Jake. It's all good. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to an agent today. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. 
Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. I used to have this fantasy that I could go to like a different island and like be able to learn every single thing by myself and learn how to essentially be perfect without needing anything or anyone and that that would solve that feeling. Because when I ask for things, it just feels like emotionally overwhelming whenever I ask for something. Yeah. I get the fantasy. I think we can go in different directions with it. And I understand, you know, the fantasy being like, if I could create an environment in which I would not need anything from anyone, then I no longer need to be hurt and let down and disappointed. And I also hear you describing a relationship with your partner where you do feel safe. And I see your sweet <laughs> smile, even as I bring up <laughs> your partner. And I wonder a little bit about, you know, the experience of meeting someone who sees you, the experience of having someone who I assume, is able to make space for what you're feeling and doesn't hijack it and have to make it about them, who can hold room and space for you, and maybe you're able to do that back as well. And so it's in some ways the opposition to the fantasy that you were just describing is uh, actually, can I create an environment where... There is room where I can exist with my experience and have it be held and seen and honored and respected and cared for. Yeah. I might be going out on a ledge here, but is that how you would describe the experience in your in your marriage? Yes, you got it. <laughs> you got it. Uh, <laughs> I think that's the confusing part is, is just feeling like, not that I have that, but that makes sense. And why is it that like every time I try to bring my family into it, it doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. And my husband will say things like working on focusing on my needs or what we're building or that we can build that family. (laughs) And his family is somewhat dysfunctional, but I feel like mine is more. And I'm like, how do we build that? And like, I share it with those people because I love those people. And does that mean not having a relationship with them? Or he'll say Mm -hmm. things like, I keep revisiting the same situation with them over and over again. And then I think, okay, well, I just need a little bit more time or more distance, or more this, more that. 
And I still feel like I'm losing how to connect it all together because how do I make myself feel safe? Is it me or is it them? I don't know. I don't know what I need to do to to merge parts of it. Well, I think you're very used to asking the question, what do I need to do? Mm-hmm. Right? I think that that's been a question that you have sat with for a very long time. And gosh, I think so many people can relate to what you're describing. You know, like, I want it with these people. I love them. And how do I merge that? And your stamina, (laughs) you've got, you have a stamina, right? And there's parts to stamina that are incredible, like the gift of stamina. And then maybe also, you know, the shadow side of stamina, the parts, the other side of the coin, if you will, right? That maybe what your husband is describing, you keep kind of going back to the same place over and over and over again, holding on to a hopefulness that leaves you feeling disappointed and hurt or devastated. And I think, you know, the idea of existing, you know, in a family dynamic where there are, is space and separation and disconnect and you know, all of that is is hard. It's not what you want. In many ways, you've you already experienced a version of that, right? And that was really painful for you. And I think, you know, there's a quest here on on your end. Like, what do I need to do? How hard do I have to work? In what ways do I try to present this in order to, you know, save the family system and make it so that we can have relationships with each other? You feel like you do that lifting for others too? Because I think before you were saying like other people are also not speaking to your mom. And so do you feel like your goal is, I would like to have a relationship with each of my family members, but if they don't have a relationship with each other, that's okay? Or are you trying to solve it for everyone? I do respect other people's decisions and that I don't think I'm the peacekeeper in that sense. That's more like my brothers. Mm -hmm. But I will say when I go through times of of no contact and I'm talking to a family member who is in contact with my mom specifically, I don't know how to navigate because I feel like, no, this is too much for me. And then I start like trying to fit in all these puzzle pieces like, okay, I could go to this event. Will this be too much for me? But then Mm -hmm. now I can't go to the event because of X, Y, Z. And it usually has to do with my mom. And then hearing my sisters too about it. It's hearing people's opinions about the contact or no contact. When you think about you know, is it them or is it me? When you ponder it being you, what comes up there? I think before you were saying that sometimes you question whether you're doing something wrong or whether this is more about 
you know, their limited capacity. You didn't say that, those words, but I would imagine like, okay, like that mom just can't do X, Y, and Z. And so that's why we can't have a relationship. So yeah, I'm curious in what ways you question, you know, your participation in this or where it is you maybe blame yourself. If I just did X, if I just did Y, then we could have a relationship. Yes. Yeah. There's just so much truth to like, I'm trying to remember all the times where I've had an emotion or a reaction to something someone said or something my mom said. And I get this common thing with my family that's, you need to learn how to regulate your emotions. You need to do like X, Y, Z basically to be able to handle it. So, or it's like, you don't need to let these things get to you or what other people say get to you. So that's kind of, yeah, anytime I I have a feeling, which since I was young, I was known for crying, (laughs) crying when I'm happy or sad or something happened or like they say some, a compliment to me, I would cry or (laughs) yeah. And from that, I got that I was too much. And so that's why sometimes I think, oh, is it because I'm taking this too close to heart? Is it because why can't I just be easy? Like I start thinking, where were the moments where we did get along? And then it just still doesn't sit right with me. So Blue, I think that in these moments when you have emotion presenting. It's so important for you to connect with it. And why that is particularly important for you is because your emotion has historically not been connected to. What you said to me before, right, is like, if something is important to me, then I really like want it to be important to other people. But what happens is that other things are more important and other things become more prioritized. And I'm thinking about the way that you relate to yourself, how you respond to yourself when your emotion presents. I love that you cry when you're happy and sad and hurt and disappointed, right? Like that sounds so beautiful to me. And I, you know, I I don't know if you would have had a criticism of it if other people hadn't commented about it. Like that sounds like an authentic expression, right? Of of what it is that you are feeling. And and I think that you've learned to make what you're feeling unimportant and prioritize other people in the same way that you're describing what other people do when your emotion presents to them. Do you see that? Yes. I do that a lot. I think I get lost in one, what other people think or feel more than, than what I feel or think or I don't even have that. I feel like I've been working on that, but every time 
I'm in a situation with other people, it's like their voices and feelings are really loud and mine yeah. are not. Yeah. And I think we have to hold on to the thread with yourself and to make that a little bit louder with you. It's beautiful that you care about other people's experiences. What a great quality to hold on to. But not at the expense of yourself. Not in a way that requires you to turn down your own volume. I think that's the extension, you know, of the pattern of the repetition, right? Is like when I feel something, I lose the thread. And when I lose the thread, I become confused about what is true and real and what is not true and real. I don't know how I feel anymore. Does that land? Yeah, it does. And I think hearing how much you felt confused as a child and a teenager, it feels so important to try to eliminate as much confusion for yourself today. When you turn up the volume on everybody else, you drown out yourself. And when you drown out yourself, I think it feels very confusing and unclear about what the right choice is for you. Not necessarily what the right choice is for other people, right? but what the right choice is for you. You have a big story about having a lot of things chosen for you. There's a lot of absence of choice in your story, right? Definitely. And to reclaim right, to like pull back into yourself, the right to choose is so important. And I think also really scary because this idea that you could possibly choose to not be in the type of relationship that you dream about with your mom or to choose that you might not be in the type of relationship that you fantasize about with your siblings, that might feel heartbreaking. Yeah, that is. Sometimes it feels like if I do more of what I choose that like I'll lose those connections and that if I set a boundary, which I have tried, that that will mean I'll lose that connection. Yeah. Yeah, right? To stay true to yourself means that the consequence is that you lose them. Yeah. It's hard because you don't want to lose them and their family whom you love. And also, what about you? What about you? Yeah. It's very hard to belong in a system 
where you have to essentially abandon your your authenticity and where you have to reject what it is that you need or what feels important to you in order to prioritize attachment. Yeah, I think I think I feel that more and more every time I'm in it. Like I feel like I want to be authentic and like today's the day. Today's the day I'm going to do it. I'm going to be it. I'm I'm going to tell people how I feel and it's going to be okay. And then I'll go into a situation with or an event with my family and I just my whole body feels tight and I don't feel like I could be myself and I I feel like am I did I say the wrong thing like do I need to say the right thing like mm-hmm. like if I show too much of myself are they going to I don't know just bring me back to that place where it feels like it's too much to handle Let's take one last break. We'll be right back. I know how to run a hair salon, but for small business insurance, I chose my State Farm agent. She's a small business owner too, so she knew how to help me personalize my policies. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to an agent today. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Do you feel like there is a place outside of your your marriage, but are there friendships? Is there community? Like, are there spaces where you do actually feel a sense of belonging? Yes. With a few people, but it's there. And I realize, like, I'm less in my head when I'm around those people. And I can kind of just be mm-hmm. in like, it's okay if I like trip because we just laugh instead mm-hmm. of like, feel mm-hmm. like it's going to be a joke or be made fun of. Right. That's the space, huh? Yeah. Yeah, that's the space. And I think, you know, I think a lot of what you and I are talking about today is a grief work. Is grief work because... Your mom isn't who you would like her to be. And maybe your siblings are not exactly who you'd like them to be. It doesn't mean that you hate them. It doesn't mean that you want them out of your life. It doesn't mean that they necessarily have to be out of your life. But they are not who you would like them to be. And who you are in response to them right, is also not who you would like to be. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, this idea, so we talk a lot about the fantasy of the parent, you know, that we wish we had, 
versus the parent that we have and the loss in that, right? The gap between who we wish for versus who we have. There's a big space there. And in that space asks for our grief. I think you've maybe held hope in that space and maybe not enough grief in that space. It doesn't mean that the relationship has to die. You know, like I think sometimes we think about it on this spectrum of like, gosh, we're either really connected or you're out of my life and I never speak to you ever again. And, you know, there's there's a lot of space in between. Right? And so what would it what would it look like if you allowed yourself to start to grieve a little bit more of that relationship? I don't know, because I think before I thought maybe I could have a superficial relationship. Like, we could just go shopping, and we could just go out to eat, and that could be enough. Mm-hmm. But it, I think now because i've i've been through so many like basically when i do something that is not agreeable or something my mom tends to like use every single thing i've shared with her like as a weapon and weaponizes like everything i share with her that it's like how do you like, yeah, you go to out to eat and you go shopping, but, like, what do you talk about? And yeah. then it just feels like everything's outside of me. That it's it's hard to imagine, like, what do you talk about? <laughs> or how to even have a relationship yeah. that doesn't feel like I'm not being me. But, like, I'm being yeah. me with, like, walls, maybe, or something. That's where the loss is, you know? Like what you're describing, there's so much loss there. Gosh, like, cool, we go to dinner and we talk about the menu. And okay, you tell me that this sweater looks nice on me. Like, great. Like, this is not what feels fulfilling and, you know, part of a rewarding relationship for you mm-hmm. and there's loss there right when you sit here and you're like oh, is that really what it's going to turn into right. but part of grief you know and and beginning to process some of that loss right and the heartache that is there also moves us away from the continued harm Right, because if the alternative is I keep trying to have an intimate relationship with you, but then you keep using everything I share with you against me and weaponizing it, that's also not the relationship I want to have. And I think that part of you that does hold on to the hope, which is like maybe mom will change. Is that what it is? Like maybe mom will see me and prioritize what it is that I really want? Is that the hope? I think the hope is that I can have feelings 
and I can have opinions and that my mom doesn't take over every mm -hmm. single space and that there's no space for me. Yeah. And if she could finally do that, then what would it mean? That she loves me. Hmm. Or that she accepts me. So no wonder you try so hard. Yeah. And stay there for a second. If I can get you to do that, then... I can know that you love me and accept me. And if I can't get you to do that, then I question your love for me and your acceptance of me. And that's pretty intolerable for most of us. To not know that our mothers love us and accept us. Yeah, like that feeling that it's so conditional and it could be taken away. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What's there for you right now? I think that feeling has like controlled so many parts of my life for so long. And when she would be upset with me, like she would give the silent treatment and I think it's like whenever I was close to someone or even with my husband, it's like that silence. It just, it hurts. I feel like I'm never going to talk to that person ever again. And so I try so hard yeah. to not say certain things or not be a certain way because I'm, I'm not ready to lose that yeah. person. Yeah. And I know that this... This can be a really confusing statement. You tell me if it's right. I wasn't ready to lose my dad. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, and I know that can feel confusing when someone is harming us. Okay. Mm -hmm. And... It can still be very true that you weren't ready to lose him. And it can still be very true that you still loved him, parts of him. Yeah. Yeah. I think I minimize that a lot. Like when I try to understand when someone has lost a parent, you know, it feels like that didn't happen to me, but my body says otherwise when I, when I think about that, that experience and it feels like I'll never have that again. Mm -hmm. And it, I think it hurts too, because my mom, she doesn't take accountability for a lot, but she'll say that we're acting a certain way because of how my dad treated us and that now she's mm -hmm. the one that we're blaming, which is like, again, feels 
not true because I feel like I I really have wanted to make it work or wanted her to see that like I wanted the relationship with her. I know that I've just met you. <laughs> yeah. So it's a it's a real small snapshot into your life. And this might be a bold declaration for not knowing you very long. But I get the sense in my intuition, my intuition is pretty good, that you have done so much that you have worked so hard that you've tried to take a really clear look around and that there's some folks in your life who maybe have some blockers and that those blockers are about them and not about you. Yeah. What happens for you when you hear that? I think it just took me so long to even try to understand that statement. <laughs> yeah. Any part of you that believes it? Yes. Because there's been times where I feel like my behaviors didn't make sense. You are on a path that's going to put you face to face with grief and loss. It's not going to be a quick shift for you, I don't think, um, because your fear of never talking to a person again makes sense. And it's big. You've lived it. You know, you've experienced it. And that possibility, I think, is is hard. It's a hard pill to swallow it is a little intolerable probably right now in your system, which is why you continue to keep the lines of communication open, why you let hopefulness take a seat at your table, right? And that's okay. You know, your job is not to force anything. It's not to make a quick decision. It's about a slow and steady movement in the direction of true belonging, true prioritization, right? true worthiness. And I think it sounds like you've found a really nice partner. And it sounds like you also have some other people in your life where, you know, belonging and worth and value and authenticity, you know, feels welcomed and clear and present. And so I hope that you do continue on that path. I'm proud of you for being the first person in your family to go to therapy. And it sounds like you're doing really incredible work. We're going to come to a close here soon, but just want to see if you have any final thoughts or anything you want to say. I appreciate the permission to take things slow and figure out 
how to navigate that the specific relationship with my mom, but overall, because I think some people wish that it could be easy, but I just recently bought her a birthday gift and I wish that I could do more, but every time I try to think of the thing to say, I don't feel ready right now or not yet. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. I know other people sometimes want us to get to relief quickly. They care about us. They don't want to see us in pain. And so sometimes people are like, it's just this, just stop doing this, stop doing that, you know, right? And yeah, you know, people care about us and, and they don't want to see us in pain and suffering. But to walk this path in a steady way, right, is what's so important, right? Step by step in a way that you can feel confident about it. But it will require you to feel into the loss and the grief and the fear that's there. Yeah. So Thank you so much. Thanks for joining me today. Hopefulness. It's a tricky one. There's something incredibly beautiful and important about holding hope. Sometimes we need that in order to get through hard moments or see a possibility in the future that, yeah, we need to to hold on to. It can get us through really hard moments, but there's another side to it. We flip the coin if we see the shadow side, right? Is that sometimes hopefulness is what has us cling to suffering and it has us come face to face with the patterns that don't create any change. Right? It has us just loop. And I wonder if maybe you've ever been in an experience or a relationship with hope that has kept you stuck. What's on the other side of releasing hope is grief. Right? That's what we talk about in our episode here today with Blue. There's so much loss, the anticipation of it, Right, this idea that if I stand up for myself or express what I need to express, that I'm going to lose you, quite literally, that I might never speak to you again, right? that that might be the consequence here. And I know so many of us know that experience, right? that I just don't do the thing that I that is most aligned for me, that is most supportive of me, that is me prioritizing me because I know that the consequence is too much, that it's intolerable. And Blue has had consequences that have been intolerable for her. She knows the experience of losing contact, maybe with someone that she wasn't ready to lose contact with. Grief work is hard work, and it's painful. And the idea of not having had the mother that she needed when she was growing up and also not having the mother who she needs today is something that is right in front of her. And it's something that she has to begin to work through at a pace that does work for her. Maybe you relate to Blue, or maybe you relate 
to Blue as a friend to someone or a partner to someone who struggles with this. But I think what we felt in what Blue was saying is that she can't just make the switch, right? She can't just say the thing that she needs to say because right now the consequence is too big. She's not ready to face that consequence. And maybe your partner isn't ready to face that consequence either. Or maybe you're not ready to go there yet. But she's going to slowly and gradually move in the direction of grieving, releasing, being present with the loss so that she can step more towards her authenticity, more towards sharing her truth, and more towards true belonging. I hope what you heard today was helpful. If you like the show, tell your friends and loved ones to listen. It would also mean so much to me if you could rate and review This Keeps Happening on Apple Podcasts. This Keeps Happening is hosted by me, Vienna Farron. This episode was produced by Anita Flores. Our engineers are Jared O'Connell and Brendan Burns. Our theme music is by Casey Holford. Our managing producer is Tamika Weatherspoon. Our executive producers are Josephine Martirana from Stitcher Studios, Keith O'Connell, and Will Rogers from Soundbite Entertainment. Stitcher. I know how to run a hair salon. But for small business insurance, I chose my State Farm agent. She's a small business owner, too, so she knew how to help me personalize my policies. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to an agent today. From muddy jungle paths to snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder is ready to take you to some of the most phenomenal destinations on Earth. In a Pathfinder, it's more than just the arrival. The real excitement comes from the ride to get there. With seven drive modes, Pathfinder's available intelligent four-wheel drive is built for some of the most epic journeys. So chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures in the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. Intelligent four-wheel drive cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions.